Welcome in to a Tuesday edition of the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Stat Matt, a.k.a. Matt Raftery, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. And Joey, something we haven't been able to say in a while, the Rebels are undefeated. UNLV football is undefeated, and you know what? Don't let the score deceive you. I mean, it was a blowout, 52-21, and you're like, you look at that, you're like, whoa, but that game could have been a lot more uglier. Yes. Uh, it was 45-7 at halftime. I think Brumfield maybe played three snaps. The starters played, what, three snaps in the third quarter, and then they were done? Yeah. Easily could have. That game on it. The last time UNLV played that school was 80-8. to eight. We could have gotten very close to that again if the starters played all the way through. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, they looked, they looked really, really good. And uh, one thing that I had in my mind uh, most of the game was the past few years they've been so uh, dependent on the run game. Like, that's what's won UNLV football games the past four or five years was Lexington Thomas, Charles Williams, Xavier Kent, all those guys pretty much won UNLV football games. Uh, and now we have a an outstanding quarterback, and we have two really good receivers in Ricky White and in uh, um, Kyle Williams. Um, the passing game, I don't care what, who the opponent is, 21 of 25 for 356 yards and four touchdowns against any Division One team uh, is huge. That's it. An amazing performance by Brumfield. An amazing performance by the receivers. The offensive line did a great job defensively through the first half. They looked really good. Um, and, you know, I'll give credit where credit to do. Arroyo made the right decision this time um, compared to last year giving Brumfield uh, the starting quarterback position. And all that you can really hope for is he stays healthy. Uh, had some health issues last season, so you just hope he stays healthy this year. And, you know, after I know it's only one week, but he stays healthy. Very optimistic for a bowl game, very optimistic for one. So uh, they, they're capable. Be, they're capable of beating Cal. They're capable of beating North Texas. They have a real shot. Not saying they will, but they have a real shot to start off the year three and zero. Two and one is probably more realistic. But I mean, if they can go out and get Cal in North Texas, uh, those are those are two huge wins for the program. And seats will start to fill up in Allegiant Stadium, and you know, and keep riding the hype train until it dies out. I guess, but. Uh, they looked really good uh, Saturday. A much better opener compared to last season and the previous year before that. Um, and really nothing but good things to say. My only real complaint um, was I think Cameron Friel should have been the second-string quarterback based off what we saw on Saturday. Uh, Harrison Bailey just looked a little out of place. He didn't play terrible. No, he played terrible. I mean, no, he, th- he, he played terrible. <laughs> three of eight, 26 yards. Um, you definitely would expect more from a a five star, a former five star quarterback that played in the SEC over at Tennessee, um, but nothing less. Uh, he just looked out of place and he didn't look really comfortable, um, and that may take some time for him to that make time that may it may take time for him to develop and get comfortable with the system. But uh, yeah, uh, even though Cameron Field only threw two passes, those were two really good. And one of them was for a touchdown. Was a what an eighteen yard touchdown pass, seventeen yard touchdown pass. So uh, Cameron Field, I think, played a lot better despite only throwing two throws uh, than um, uh, Harrison Bailey. So I think Cameron Field going in should be the QB number two if something happens to Doug Brumfield. Knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But my pick would be Cameron Field, no question. Yeah, I think for an opener, it was one of their better ones for sure um, for UNLV. I think. You know, I, I was a little disappointed as far as the attendance is concerned. I thought there would be more people there, especially it's a season opener, 1230 on a Saturday. Um, nothing really pressing up against it as far as like 
you know, it's not like you're, you're at a legion and across the way you have a an Aces game going on or you have a, a big concert in town or, you know, you have something going on at T-Mobile. Like, there was nothing pressing up against this UNLV football game at 1230. And the fact that they couldn't even pull 20K into the building was a little bit disheartening, I think, as a, as a fan, for sure, especially being this season opener. Um, you know, there's still a lot of hope and optimism in the season and, um. You know, I, I, I put that one on um, on the fans nonetheless. I think, you know, these are the same fans that want to, you know, bitch and complain essentially about, you know, when the team's not doing good and they want to pick out every small detail and all this, but yet they're not showing up to the games. Like, it's a little bit easier to uh, to make those criticisms and critiques when you're at the game and you can see it for yourself. But a lot of these pe- fans are just, you know, couch sitters that are, you know, going off of what they thought they or think they know about UNLV football. And, you know, I think if they were there on Saturday and watched the game, they'd be pleasantly surprised at what they saw. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes, I think that's one of my own biggest complaints with the Vegas sports community um, is, uh, is with UNLV. Um, you, I, I understand winning plays a factor in it, but it's, it's week one. Um, so you got to go out and and support. I mean, it's Idaho State. It's at Allegiant Stadium. There's no reason for you not to be there. Um, it's a it's a 12:30 kickoff. Um, the more people in attendance does have an effect on the outcome of the game. Yeah. Like that plays more into a you know we would have won this game regardless. But in future games, like when we play North Texas, like we need a decent crowd there. Um, when we play UNR, we need a decent crowd there. So uh, at, at the end of the day, the Vegas community does have to do a better job, I think, of showing up for UNLV athletics. It's not like this team is 0-11 right now and has gotten blown out every single game. Um, the support was better last season during their 2-10 and 10 years. So, yeah, it, it was definitely a little disappointing uh, to only see 19,000 fans there uh, for week one. But hopefully there's improvement in week two against North Texas. That's, that is a bigger opponent. Um, that is a FCS uh, or FBS opponent, excuse me. Um, and it is a evening game on a Saturday. So no excuse. And especially if UNLV beats Cal, I want at least 23,000 fans there. If UNLV beats Cal, you need at least 23,000 fans there. Um, and, yeah, it, it ultimately comes down to the fans to with, on whether they want to show up or not. You know, the stadium is a lot more, I don't know if accessible the right is the right word because of parking, but it's in a centered location now versus Sam Boy that was out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hope there's a better I – hope, I hope the attendance gets better as the season goes on, as it was for basketball. Towards conference play, basketball attendance started getting better, but um, hopefully the same thing happens for football. Yeah, and I think the other takeaway that I, I had was um, I was stunned that it's supposed to be – it was supposedly a neck-and-neck race between Harrison Bailey and Doug Brumfield. Saturday did not look like a neck-and-neck race. That looked one-sided um, – yeah, I mean, I said it in the opener, Harrison just looked terrible. Like, that's probably the best way I could sum it up. As soon as Doug Brumfield left the field and that starting offense left the field and Harrison Bailey was under center, the offense stopped moving the ball. They didn't look great. They, you know, were having three and outs. They weren't moving the ball down the field as, you know, efficiently as they were under Doug. And, um, you know, to me, I think Saturday answered that question pretty solidly as far as who the QB1 should be. Um, you know, and who QB2 should be. Yeah, I think Cameron Friel should be the QB2. And I think, you know, we may have even mentioned it in our preview that we both thought, you know, Doug should be the number one. And I think Cameron Friel made a good case for number two. And, you know, 
we look on Saturday and that's exactly what happened. You know, I don't know anybody in their right mind can really sit there with a straight face and say, yeah, Harrison Bailey is a good backup option, especially when you have Cameron Friel sitting right there. Um, you know, so I, I, I think overall, I, I understand it's Idaho State. So it's a little bit of a lesser opponent. You kind of want to see what this team really looks like against Cal. Maybe Cal's a better measuring stick game for where this team's at because, you know, going into the Idaho State game, you know, UNLV's supposed to take care of business. They're at home. It's against a, a little bit of a lesser opponent. Um, you know, in you have a a core that's kind of been brought back together, especially on defense. Um, although Naki Fahina did get carted off, unfortunately, for the Rebel defense. That's a big centerpiece that they lose. But um, you still bring back a lot of pieces um, from last year's team. And um, I wouldn't say kind of to be expected, if you will, for the um, – score because I mean they won obviously by a lot more than I thought they were going to be and put up a lot more points than I expected but um, nonetheless I, I think a win was definitely expected against Idaho State uh, this team's going to get tested I think as soon as next week when they go on the road to Cal because the following week or following week that's right they have a I think they have a bye this week yeah you get a bye one wow they get a bye after the fr- open wow that's that's a crazy bye um so you're right the following week they play Cal and I think that's going to be a, a, an interesting test for them just because I, I get Cal is towards the bottom of the Pac-12. They're kind of similar in a sense to Vandy when it comes to the SEC. Like Vanderbilt's always kind of been the bottom of the SEC. And um, this is going to be kind of similar as far as Cal being relatively low in the Pac-12. But it's still a Power 5 school. So, I mean, they're going to cause... Um, an, an interesting test on the road, nonetheless, for UNLV. And, I, I mean, really, I think even North Texas could raise a couple eyebrows. I think that UNLV is capable of winning that game against North Texas. And quite frankly, if they play, you know, if they can replicate what they did in the opener against Cal, I'm not sure if they can win, but they can keep the game interesting and maybe give themselves a chance to win, nonetheless. I think the Cal game, before we move on here, they if they lose... They have a real shot to win it, but if they lose, it'll be within 10 points. Yeah, they'll keep it competitive. They're not going to get blown out by Cal, that I can promise you. Which might, I mean, if we are, if we take what they did in the opener and just say we replicate that the next 11 games that they have throughout the year, um, and we get similar performances throughout those 11 games, I think Joey's right. I think this team could make a very interesting case for a bowl game, you know, to get to 6-6 six and six because now a lot of those Mountain West games that we had looked at and was like, well, they're probably going to lose – all of a sudden now are very competitive games, if not wins, now for UNLV. Yep. One team, I did want to get into another college football game. I thought I was going to let them slide, but it's not going to happen. One team that did not start 1-0, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Or Hus- is it Hus- Cornhuskers, Huskies? Does it even matter anymore? They don't deserve that type of respect. They don't, they, they don't, they don't deserve the type of respect to even know their mascot. Correct. 28 to it's just they lose 28 to 31 in Ireland to Northwestern a game which they were the favorites by by what 13 uh yes they were heavy favorites they were double digit favorites going into this game Scott Frost has a 28 to 17 lead in the fourth quarter Matt what did what did Scott Frost do decided to get cute and kick an onside kick kicked an onside kick and well I mean that kind of changed the momentum of the game did he give a reason for that? Like, what, what was his reason? Um, Did he say anything in the press conference where he was like, you know, we 
we thought, you know, we the some we ran in practice a lot. We thought we could really, we thought we could really get him. Or I think he may have credited it to they had an interesting look that he liked or something. I I don't know. Um, to me, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So what was your what was your prediction for Nebraska? Is eight and four right? I don't, know, I don't think I got to that. I think their ce- I said their ceiling's probably going to be eight and four. Probably, if they played their cards right, they could probably get to seven and five. Seven and five. Okay. How hot do you think his seat is right now? It is on fire, and in fact, I mean. The only saving grace, and I told Dom this, I think, yesterday, the only reason Scott Frost has not been kicked out of the door yet is because Trev Alberts is the AD, which is his best friend. Like, I think he's really going to try and see if Scott Frost is the actual the guy, actually the guy for Nebraska. I mean, this is already a coach that has taken a massive pay cut this year. I mean, he took a, I, I want to say it was at least a 50% pay cut just to stay. Frost? Yes. Because they were ready to let him go at the end of last year. And, I mean, it was kind of a desperation move as far as, like, well, I'll take a pay cut type of deal. And, I mean, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's the same thing we saw last year. You know, they they play a good first half in the opener. Um, You know, they they give the fans a little bit of hope. And, you know, they they show off Casey Thompson and all the throws he's making, which, to his credit, He's better than the last quarterback that Nebraska had. So if anybody played well, I thought it was Casey Thompson in that game. So, I mean, that's great. Nebraska's going to have a great quarterback. They don't have a defense to speak of because they gave up 31 points. And I get that part of that had to do with the onside kick. But even still, I mean, Nebraska's defense, for being the the quote-unquote black shirts that they're supposed to be and the the, his, the stingy defense that they've always been known to be historically, um, they have looked pathetic probably the better part of the 2000s because they have not been able to stop really a nosebleed for that matter. And if that, de- if that defense continues to play the way that they did on Saturday, they will not get to six and six. They will probably be five and seven or four and eight. Looking at their schedule from here on, I was, what I was just looking at, they'd be very lucky to get to six and six. Yeah. This, this first game was a real blow because you look at it and you're like, they're not beating Oklahoma. Yeah, you're like they can't even beat Northwestern. So why would they beat? You know, you look at the schedule here. Let me see. They'll get the two cupcakes ne- uh, in the next two weeks, like, as far as North Dakota yeah. and Georgia Southern. You you can't beat Northwestern. Nope. So how can I, pre- you know, pick you to pick Purdue nope. or beat Purdue? How can I pick you to beat Minnesota? How can I count on you to beat Iowa? How can I even count on you? Indiana may give them a run. Yeah, I mean, they'll, well, they're definitely not winning the last three of the year. That's the. Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa stretch. They're not winning any of those three, in my opinion. They're not beating OU, which a lot of the more diehard Nebraska fans were telling me, oh, this is the coming out party. They're going to kill OU by 17. No, they might get killed by OU by 17. Well, I I saw one thing. I don't know who was doing the prediction. I think it was a former player, but he went through their schedule and he predicted. TikTok has perfect timing, by the way, because this came out. He did this like two weeks ago, but it 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 went viral after they had lost to Northwestern. And he had predicted they would go eleven and one, with the one loss being to it was not Michigan. He had him beating Michigan. The one loss was to Wisconsin. That's not happening. So, no. His prediction's already down the drain. If they don't, if they're not careful, they may end up one and eleven. To be honest with you, because I mean, it, it's one of those teams that they are a, and it's 
probably it's going to sound like, you know, I'm an anti-Scott Frost guy, but they are literally a competent head coach away from being at minimum six and six. So it's, let's do this. If they go six and six, is that enough to keep no, Scott Frost? Absolutely not. What if they win the bowl game? No. Seven and six? No. Do you think they keep him if they do that? No. If, if, the minimum he's going to probably have to go to keep his job and to keep the fan base relatively interested in him is probably eight and four. Like, what about, what about seven and five wins the bowl game, eight and five? That has to do it. To me, that feels like a coin flip at that point because you do win the bowl game, so you get to eight wins. You have five losses. It may be enough, possibly. If they're if they're six and six and they win the bowl game, no. I I, I think there's a lot of expectations now. This is the fifth year, by the way, of Scott Frost. So we should the fan base should have expected, and rightfully so. I mean, it's not like you know, for example, it's not like a UNLV fan base where they're expecting change in year two, like. This is a fan base that's been waiting now. This is the fifth year of this experiment with Scott Frost. And nothing Sanchez, Sanchez was gone year four. So it, exactly. I mean, <laughs> UNLV fan, they were and believe me, they wanted to get rid of Sanchez well before year four. Right. Like they were screaming for his job after probably the first year. But, you know, this is a, a Nebraska fan base that has, you know, been very, I think, patient with Scott Frost as long as they could. You know, understanding that he's a former player and you know, they, I think they wanted to give him as much time in the world as they could, but they also expected, you know, like any other fan base, okay, we're past the year four mark, we're going into year five, we should start seeing some very notable changes from when he took the program over. And quite frankly, the program, at least in my perspective, hasn't really progressed anywhere forward. It's regressed. Really since Bo Pelini left. Like, yeah. that was probably their first mistake, honestly, was... You know, they fired Bo Pelini because they didn't like that he was a, a mean guy. Like, they, they didn't like that, you know, he was a little too hard on his players or he would occasionally call out the athletic department. But you looked at Bo Pelini, and every year he was at Nebraska, he went not, at least nine wins. And sometimes he got to ten wins if it was a bowl game. And you could say, well, he didn't win the big games. Okay, he won more games than what is being won right now. Right. He could beat Northwestern. <laughs> he could... You know, he could beat Michigan State. Like, has got, Have they even beaten a ranked opponent under Frost? I don't believe they have. And if they have, it's one. Maybe one, yeah. And they're probably I, like, we're like 25th. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw it yesterday. They are now five and like five, or, or no, it's like 15 and 30 right now yeah. under Scott Frost. Yeah. And to me, that, that. Tony Sanchez was 20 and 40. So, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he, Tony Sanchez may have more wins than him. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a fan base that I, I think if you told them 15 and 30, they they would look at you and say, we expect better. Um, yeah. You know, given our program's history, um, 15 and 30 doesn't cut it. And, quite frankly, I think it was if it was anybody else other than Scott Frost, he would have been fired by now. Right. Because, But because, you know, it's the quote-unquote, you know, um, prodigal, prodigal son of – Nebraska and they they want to really give this guy time and you know they you know he's still beloved for what he did as a player in the 90s and but at some point it's time to cut bait and I think I mean I'm personally not a fan of midseason firings but if this gets bad enough they may fire him during this year I think I think if it gets to two and five or worse you have to do it if it's if it's three and four or uh, four and three or whatever, like you got to just ride it out. But I think you have to make a decision by the seventh game, and if it's it has to be two and five or worse for me to 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 want to fire him. 
because like like we've said before, midseason firings are ugly. And looking at the schedule, they're going to go two and zero in this next stretch: North Dakota and Georgia Southern. So that's two and one. Oklahoma two and two. Indiana two and three. Three and two. Ooh. Rutgers three and three. That's a road game. Purdue three and four. Illinois four and four. Minnesota four and five. Four and five. Yeah, four and eight. I'm looking at four and eight right now from this yeah. team. And at that point, because we didn't even we didn't even go like we didn't even need to name the last. It was well, we knew Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, lost zero and three. So yeah, who would four and eight is what I'm looking at right now for this team. Now this is a program that obviously has a lot of money in, invested in it and has a lot of pretty wealthy boosters. I would say, um, who would you want them to go out and get if they do part ways with Scott Frost? If he was if he was still at UNR, and yep. if he was still at UNR and he had a like a nine and three year this year with uh, Wolfpack Norvell, I'd say Norvell. Yeah, I don't think I I I I'm really high on him as a head coach. Everyone knows that you really can't hire him this year after CSU because it's his first year there, and I don't think he's just gonna have a good year there. I, he'll have a better year than Frost probably. He'll be like four and eight or five and seven, mm-hmm. but like that doesn't make any sense to do. Um. I don't know. I mean, you you would really have to look at someone who who understands the program, I think. I know Frost was that dude, but, I mean, someone that's had a little more head coaching experience and, and far more success and someone who I think who knows how to recruit in that region. Uh, you look at Frost. I understand he's a former alumni and whatnot, but he was coaching at Florida. Like, recruiting to UCF and recruiting to Nebraska are two different things. Correct. Two different things, and they're pretty much on opposite sides of the country as well. Um, so I think you have to get someone in that Midwest region, uh, whether it's a head coach or an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. I I always if you're gonna hire a coordinator, I always say go offensive coordinator. Um, it always works out better. It seems like. Um, so I think that's what they'd have to do in terms of names. I'm not sure. I like I said, I really like Jay Norvell. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what Nebraska's budget's gonna be. Uh, going into their search for their next head coach, but I, I think it's got to be someone in that Midwest region, and it's got to be a, a head coach or an offensive coordinator and someone who knows how to recruit and someone who's familiar with the program a little bit and, and you know, understands what the expectations are. So I think that's what they would have to have to look in, in terms of their next head coach. Um, you look at Utah State's head coach. He just won the Mountain West last season. He won uh, the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Uh, they won 11 games. They beat a, back, a Pac-12 opponent in that bowl game. They have another good year this year. Possibly he's a candidate. Uh, he's in that region somewhat. I know it's Logan, Utah, but he's in that vicinity. I mean, I feel like recruiting to Logan, Utah is very similar to recruiting to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, so that would kind of – those are two names that maybe come to mind a little bit, um, but it's got to be – in that region, I don't, you can't really hire anyone from Kansas because Kansas football program's a joke. So uh, maybe an off OC from Oklahoma or from Oklahoma State. Um, that's kind of where I would be looking. I think that's where they have to go. They can't hire a, you know, another coach from Florida or a coach from California because it may be a big name, but I don't think it would work. So that's what I'd be looking for. There's one name that popped into my head that. If nothing else, Nebraska should make a phone call to. Who is it? Deion Sanders. He's not leaving Jackson State. 
for a Power 5 gig? No. Nah, with a ton I mean, of money he, behind he, it? He, I don't think he'd leave it for Nebraska. Um, Deion Sanders is, is I mean, if you, if you gave him the amount of money, I'd throw all the money at him in the world, personally. That's a blink check, Coach. Right? Yeah, I'm like, how much do you want? Cool. Because if he check come, your check your bank account, money's coming your way. Because if he comes to Nebraska, what we already know he can recruit really well. Like yeah. he he got um, multiple uh, the, four five star athletes. Well, we too. got the um, Hunter kid who yeah. was originally going to go to Alabama, and then he got him to flip from Bama to um, Jackson State. And so, I mean, we this is a guy that is very good at recruiting. It's a coach that the players, I mean, will probably go to war for to be honest like i mean i look at jackson state you know every single one of those players absolutely love playing for Deion sanders and i think if you bring in a guy like Deion sanders we know the guy knows football we know he knows how to coach well um and, and maybe some of the fan base won't be too high about it because he is coming from jackson state and they they're they're wanting to hire somebody at very least in a group of five school but I mean, again, when you are talking about a guy like Deion Sanders, the guy is one of the best recruiters in the country. So he's going to be able to pull kids from all over the place. He's going to be able to, you know, get them to play for him, which, I mean, I look around in the Nebraska locker room right now. I don't know how many of those guys are playing for Scott Frost at this current moment, especially after Saturday. The, the thing, though, is, is Deion Sanders a realistic option? realistic probably not that's right. why i said it's at very least you should at least give him a phone call to see if he's interested i i would too i think i think any any group of five uh school that has a head coaching vacancy after this season has to give him a call that has to be the first option personally um for most of those schools it probably won't happen and it's not realistic but i personally don't think he leaves jackson state either um but that that has to be that has to be the first phone call you make for sure. A name Dom brought up that I don't necessarily hate either. He's available right now. Actually, is Ed Orgeron. Yeah, but there's a reason why he's available. So yeah, that's I, another thing you might want to. Good coach, but the publicity that comes with it. That might it, it, it's very similar to. Um, Dom, Dom likes making controversial hires, it seems like. It, it's very similar to when the, the UNLV basketball head coaching vacancy was open. Oh, yeah, or he, when it's been open he, several he, times over the last couple of years. He wanted Rick Patino. Rick Patino. Yeah. If you really don't want UNLV to ever make the tournament again, then you go hire Rick Patino. Um, because, sure, Rick Patino is a good coach, but looking at the stuff he did over at Louisville and – Looking at how the NCAA has treated UNLV, uh, still to this day, I mean, you look back to as recent as 2017, the whole Derrick Jones Jr. incident, um, UNLV started to get healthy again and looked like they were going to make a run in the tournament, and the NCAA was like, nope, Derrick Jones Jr., uh, you're ineligible. We decided that you you failed your, what was it, the ACT, SAT? They just figured it out in March of that year that there was an issue with his ACT? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Um, and he gets in, uh, he uh, is suspended and UNLV gets bounced uh, by Fresno State, who and they played Fresno pretty close in that game too. Fresno won the conference that year. UNLV played them really close in that quarterfinal game. Derek Jones Jr. plays, the outcome of that game possibly could have been a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, I think you hire Rick Pitino to UNLV. I mean, the NCAA would love that hire because they're just gonna, you know, give whatever ban they decide to give. And I'm not saying that there'd be a ban for Nebraska, but 
it'd be very similar to. I'm not comparing these guys, but it'd be very, it'd be very similar to bringing Deshaun Watson to Cleveland. Mm. You know, we everyone knows how we feel about Deshaun Watson on the show, so not to get back into it, but great quarterback. But look what it's came, look at the price it's came with for the Cleveland Browns. For yeah. one, he probably should not be playing the game of football ever again. And a lot of people that probably may have rooted for Cleveland because of how bad they were, now want the franchise to pretty much just suffer eternally for uh, going and getting Deshaun Watson. And no one's really, no one's really a Browns fan anymore. Right. So that's another thing you have to look into. So good coach, but just probably not the smartest decision. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Again, yeah. we're still very early on, so there could be coaches that become available later on in the year that. Um, Nebraska may want to look at if they do decide to fire Scott Frost. And like I said, I, personally, if it's me, I mean, even if it's a bad year, I think you probably just let Frost write it out because there's no real incentive to firing Scott Frost at game seven compared to the end of the year, especially if your year is already pretty much down the drain. There may, there may the, the OC with Nebraska may be a, a hidden gem, you know, because like if they're two and five or oh and seven, I think you have to do it at that point and give that guy a chance because either could prove himself or you could bring him onto the staff again next year. So that's, I, th- I think if they're that bad, you have to do it. Just a friendly reminder, make sure you guys are following back and forth on Twitter at back forth pod. Instagram is at back forth podcast. Make sure you're also following the official home for back and forth. Talk that talk media company. Their Twitter is at TTT media company. The rest of their socials are at talk that talk media company. I've been your host stat Matt, AK Matt Raftery joined alongside as always by my co-host Joey G. Have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you all on Thursday.